love Lucas. I just love that guy. He's such a good guy. Uh, that, was all, that was really awkward, wasn't it, Lucas? Really awkward. <laughs> all right. Um, so, sorry. Um, so, hey, just real quick, um, for just talking about our offering... Uh, we took last, let's just say this just as a thank you, last month was the best month we've ever had with our offering, right? ever since we started Vintage. So I want to say thank you to you, but I want to worship Jesus ultimately and give him thanks for that. It was just a, you know, it's just one of those deals, y'all, that um, it's all, we always said at Vintage that we never compel, we never make you feel guilty, anything like that. All we simply say is this relates to your finances. We simply say, you go ask God what it looks like to be obedient, and then you give accordingly, right? And then you're responsible before Jesus in that. And so, so with that, it's just nice. I just love to watch you guys being obedient, and, and just, it's, a, it's just a blessing to, to Vintage. And we just want to say thank you for that and, uh, and give praise to, to Jesus for that. So it's an exciting thing. So anyway, just want to let you know about that. Um, so let me just say, I'm going to just start out this morning, and I'm going to share something with you that I'm not going to qualify. I'm not really going to dive deep into, okay? It's just kind of the kind of just this thing I'm going to throw out there and talk about for a few minutes, and then I'm going to kind of launch into the rest of it, okay? So when if you've ever read the book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament. There's this guy, Daniel. He was taken captive. There was It was Israel, and they did they basically kind of disobedient towards God, and God said, listen, enough is enough. And this Babylon came in, this other country came in and basically took them over, and they took Daniel and some other people and took them back to their kingdom and basically just trying to turn them to the dark side, basically. There's no other way of saying it. And trying to teach them their customs, teach them their way, basically make them feel sensitive and compassionate towards the Babylonians, right? And then they would send them back to rule over their people, now with an affection and a love for Babylon. It's a really smart tactic. Anyway, that doesn't really matter this morning. Basically this. Daniel goes in, and we read his story in the book of Daniel. And the first half is just his story. It's a really cool story. I encourage you to go read it sometime. But the second half of this this, this thing that he wrote basically dealt with um, things in the future. Right. Things in the future, things that were going to be happening. And he said, listen, I through my reading of scripture and the reading of the sign of the times, I basically recognize that our time in captivity will last for about 70 years. Right. And then we will be released. And and he gives all what we call prophetic words. They're basically just things that he speaks that ultimately will happen in the future. Right. And God has just given him this gift. It's a wonderful thing. And and we read that. And there's a you know, if you ever read like do I was just talking to someone earlier they're doing a beth moore study right now about the book of daniel and she's connecting it to the book of revelation they're both apocalyptic scriptures a really neat thing right so anyway, this whole this whole connection going basically but daniel's coming in he's speaking about these things that are to come and it's interesting about daniel what he did was real simple he simply read the scrolls he simply read scripture he communed with the father so he heard from jesus himself and then he was just a good student who read the sign of the times, right? He just looked around him and saw everything that was going on around him. So he, he, he read scripture, he communed with the Father and heard from the Father, and then he just read the signs of the times of what was going on around him. And as such, he was able to figure out what was going on, quote-unquote, in the future. Now, when we read the New Testament, 
When you read the New Testament, specifically when you go read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking. He basically has his own Daniel moment. He says, listen, you want to know when the Son of Man is going to come back? You want to know when all this stuff's going down, when, when Messiah is eventually going to come in his fullness? Let me say this. And he get, lays out two chapters of saying, here's what's going to happen when the end, before the end comes. And he talks about wars and rumors of wars, right? He talks about famines and earthquakes that will affect the world. He begins to just name all of these things that basically we read about every day in the news. And so basically I'm telling you this, that we are in a season... That we are in a season where I believe that Jesus has already named in Matthew 24 and 25. And I believe what we get at and we look at these scriptures, one of the primary verses he says, I want you to hear this. He says, therefore, Jesus speaking, okay, therefore, keep watch. He's talking to all the believers, right? Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You don't know when I'm going to, you don't know when the Lord's going to come in his fullness. And so basically what he's saying, and it's real simply saying, listen, You have to live prepared every day of your life as if tomorrow is the day that the Son of God will come. Now, let me say that. Let me just ask you this question. If you find out that your parents, right, let's say you have your own house, okay? Let's say your parents are coming tomorrow and they're spending the night in the spare bedroom, what do you do? You go, ah, and you start running around like a chicken with your head cut off, and you start cleaning. You take your first shower of the week, right? Guys, your wife tells you to go shave. You go into the spare bedroom. What do you find? Boxes laying on the bed in dust about an inch thick because you never go in there. You don't like to think about the room where your in-laws stay in, right? Because it means the in-laws are coming. You don't want to go in there. So you're like, oh. And so you spend this time in preparation and preparing for them to come, getting yourself ready so that when they come in the door and they do this, your mom, right? And go, oh, looks pretty clean in here, right? And you're like, yes, we always live like this. And you know you're lying through your teeth. Why? Because you've spent the last 24 hours in preparation for them coming the next day. And so what Jesus speaks very simply is this. Jesus speaks it. Peter spoke it, Paul spoke it, and then John in the book of Revelation names it big time. He basically says, listen, keep watch because it may be tomorrow. Every single one of those men that I just named, every single one of the women of God back in the day, they would have believed that Jesus could be coming tomorrow and say they lived their life prepared for his returning. And what I want to say to you is simply this. If you read scripture and you know how God deals with nations who live in disobedience to his lifestyle, to his call, who live opposed to the morals that he set, do you know how God deals with those nations? He deals with them in judgment. He comes and says, listen, I, because I'm 100% just, I have to deal with sin. Not because I'm angry. But because I love you too much to let you continue on this path that you're on. So I step in, I put my foot down and say enough is enough. And he disciplines those that he loves. 
And he comes and he speaks and he does this work. And I would say if you do a, if you read the sign of the times at all and what's going on with our morals and, and what's going on with our laws, we're living in a generation probably the most immoral that the world has ever known. Which basically means this. We must keep watch. We must prepare ourselves for tomorrow may be the day that Jesus returns. We're called by God to be prepared and to live our lives prepared. So last week, if you were here, you know, when Mark Nicewander, he's the um, the uh, executive director of our church planting network, he came and spoke. And he did a message on risk. He said, listen, every single follower of Jesus, every single person who knows the Father, you're called to live life risk in risk, risking for the sake of God's kingdom, right? Just living risky for Jesus every day of your life. And, 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 and inherently, we all understand risk, right? It's a situation that involves exposure to danger. Risk. You all understand risk, right? If I say I want you to go risk, you know, man, if I've called you to risk. You go, oh my gosh, risk makes me uncomfortable. It takes me outside of my comfort zone. Risk in its fullest form means that what I'm about to do could literally kill me. Every single one of you have ever jumped out of an airplane with a piece of, piece of synthetic whatever drapery around your back called parachuting, right? When you stand at the end of this, right, right here you're looking over, you're risking your life. This is risk, right? It's dangerous. But the reality for us as human beings is that risk can be much more than that. Risk can, can be a, a risk to our popularity, right? It can be a risk to our social status and reputation, right? It can be a, it can be a risk to our bank account and decisions that we make. It can be a risk to our time. It can be a risk to our my comfort level of, of doing life the way I want to. Risk can be a really can involve anything that we do in life. And so, so Mark was coming to say, listen, if we're going to live in this season of preparing ourselves for God, if we're going to live our lives in preparation for His coming, if we're going to live our lives in, in relationship with the living God of creation, then we have to be able to sit there and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Whenever you want me to do it, I will live my life in risk for you, because all I'm really doing is living for tomorrow anyway. That's the understanding. If we think he's coming back tomorrow, then we can live like we're dying. Have you heard that song? Who wrote that? Tim McGraw? Live like we're dying. Wrote a bull named Fu Manchu, right? What a great line. It wasn't so cheesy. Anyway, but this whole idea, like living like you're dying, like seriously, tomorrow, he's coming back tomorrow, so I will live like tomorrow's the day that he returns. And so what do we do? We live, there are all sorts of phrases you can say that are inappropriate. All of it out there, right? All of it out there, everything, nothing unhindered. We're just completely living for Jesus in risk. But we said last week, risk isn't just like this, just random, like, I'm going to risk for risk's sake, right? Hey, so I'm going to express my faith and learn to risk. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to go up, up here to the roof of this building, and I'm going to stand there and say, Jesus, I'm going to risk for you. I'm going to jump. Catch me. That's stupidity, right? Jesus, when the enemy said to him in Luke 4, 
take him to the, the, the precipice, the top of the temple. He said, why don't you leap from here? Because the scripture says that the angels will take charge over you and catch you. What does Jesus say? You should not put the Lord your God to the test. What he's basically saying is this. I don't jump because I want to jump for risk's sake. I only risk as a response to what God has called me to do. That's what Mark was getting at last week. We said this. Risk is obedience, obedience to God. It's obedience to God. Expressing faith. God, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand here, right? I'm gonna stand here at the precipice of this, I'm looking down. I'm looking down on, on, on dirt and grass, this thousands of feet below, and you've called me to jump, but I'm only gonna jump if you tell me to. Still a risk. In fact, I'm only gonna jump if you jump with me, all right? I'm only going to jump if you jump with me. Listen, when I was growing up, I'm after, I'm using this analogy. I think it's great. I mean, I would, I would, I would, you know, my dad would be sitting there and you know, he would, he had a long day at work, right? And he would go, hey, Steve. I'm like, what? He's like, why don't you go down to the basement? I'm like, you know what time? It's, it's dark outside. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going downstairs to that basement, right? So I need to go downstairs to the basement. I'm like, oh. I walk over there and I just looked and I could hear the monsters down there, right? Sitting down there in the in the basement. I'm like, oh. And I remember turning around and going, Dad, I can't get down there. Son, you can get down there. Dad, I will go if you go with me. I'm not going to risk my life unless I know that you are with me because you're a lot bigger than I am and you'll protect me when that whatever jumps out to get me. Jesus, in John chapter 5, Verse 19, I want you to hear this in the context of understanding risk. Jesus' life is defined by risk again and again and again. He says this in verse 19, John 5. Read along, open your Bibles and look at this. this and I'm going to just say this. I'm going to take you to the end real quick, okay? Everybody pay attention. Everybody look at me. Look up your Bibles just real quick. I'm about to tell you that the nature of relationship that Jesus has with his father is the expectation of what we can have for our own lives in relationship with Jesus and the father today. What I'm about to paint a picture of with Jesus, if I relate to father, is how I believe God's calling us to relate to him today. Verse 19, chapter 5 of John. Read along up here. Let the word sink in. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, says, I tell you the truth, the son, he's the son, the son can do nothing by himself. Let that sink in for a second. The son can do nothing by himself. In the Greek, the word nothing means nothing, right? He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Jesus' life, in this moment, he's expressing that in his life, he expressed, his life was expressed in response and obedience to God the Father. Everything that he did, every movement that he made forward, everything that was of value in life was ultimately not something he decided to do on his own, but is in, re- in relationship to watching the Father stand on the edge with him and say, you ready? You ready, Father? 
We're jumping on this one. On three, okay. One, two, we're going down to the basement. Only if you come with me. Oh, you're already in front of me. There you go. I'm following you down in. The, Jesus did nothing. Jesus did nothing. He could do nothing apart from the Father doing it with him. This is marked, right? This unbelievable life of obedience, right? This unbelievable life of obedience and of responding to the Father in relationship with him. But the thing I want you to see is that these verses, these verses, they follow an important story. You put it in the context, right? Jesus just spoke. But what is it in context to? The story has been he's been he's just spoken these words in the context of the healing that took place at the pool of Bethesda, the the pool of Bethsaida. All these these theologian people they argue all day long about which pool it really was. I'll just say doesn't really matter. There were a bunch of six people around a pool somewhere, and Jesus walked up to it. Okay, Jesus walks up to this pool, and there's a bunch of people. And we pick it up in verse three of chapter five of John. He says this here at the pool. A great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And in verse 5 says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. He was sick, right? He couldn't walk. When Basically, people would carry him there every day. Verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? And the man's like, are you crazy? Of course I do. Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. The guy looked up, stood up like, oh, right? Took his mat, walked away, probably ran away. And the Pharisees looking there saying, I can't believe you just did that on the Sabbath, the day of rest. We don't allow those types of things to happen. And basically Jesus looked up and said, sorry, I listened to someone a little higher than you. We call him father. And I want you to know, listen, that I tell you the truth. I only do what I see him doing. He was healing that man, so I had to heal him. He walked over to him, so I had to walk over. Over to him. Listen, does it sound crazy? Does it sound crazy to think about relating to God that way? How many people you know don't even believe that God is real? And I'm sitting here telling you that there is a, a relationship to be had where I am so intimate with Him, I actually walk every day. Listening to and following him in the areas of mass, massive risky things that are dangerous to my life. And I'm like, let's do it. That sounds stupid. And it sounds crazy. But I'm telling you, Jesus in this moment is expressing this. Peter lived with Jesus and then died why would he die for somebody if he didn't believe it? Paul died for this belief. Why would he do that? Because it's real. He's living. He's active. He's moving in our lives. And he may be coming back tomorrow. And are you prepared? Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Not just do you know his anger. Do you know how passionately in love he is with you? So Jesus is sitting there doing his thing, following the Father. Amazing. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about this nature of relationship, the thing that jumps out to me in these verses is 
the oneness, the solidarity, the intimacy of Jesus with Father. This oneness. They're indivisible, separated. See, they're completely unseparated, completely intertwined. They're intimately intertwined. One writer says this. Jesus had a, just listen to this. Jesus had a sensitivity. He could just see something, right? He had a sensitivity beyond human experience to God's voice. Because his intimacy, hear this, because his intimacy with God is unclouded by sin. This sight or this sensitivity then refer, listen, it refers to Jesus' constant communion, fellowship, and relationship to the Father. Therefore, Jesus' whole life, everything he does, it's reflective of what he sees the Father doing. I love this picture, right? Jesus coming in, and I just love this picture. Why, listen, in church, why do you think that pastors spend so much time talking about sin? Well, I would say they've misunderstood. They think that God's really, really mad at everybody and, and like hates you because there's sin in your life. And I would simply say Jesus loves you so much that he wants you to be unclouded in your relationship to him. He says, I hate sin because it keeps me from keeps me from you and it keeps you from hearing me. So I want there to be sin out of your life, not because I hate you and I'm angry and I'm like, oh, right? No, I just want to add out of the way so that we can commune. So that when we sit there at the edge of the of the of the of the basement, walking down the stairs into darkness, when we stand on the precipice right here, the plane looking down, you can hear me count to three. Sin clouds. And Jesus is unclouded by sin. He has this intimacy, right? He has this constant communion. Therefore, Jesus' whole life, everything he does, he say, oh, I'm just following the Father and I'm reflecting what I see him do. Parents, you understand this. How many, how many of you who are parents, who have small kids, have ever looked at you and looked at your kids and said, oh my gosh, he's just a chip off the old block. Oh my gosh, he just sounds just like you. He looks just like you, right? I always say in, 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 in like in, in, in parenting 101, if you don't like how your children are responding to situations and how they're acting, look at yourself first because they're probably just reflecting what they see you doing, right? We experience that in our, like we watch into Catherine, like, oh, that there, there's little Steve right there, right? Because she's just watching how I respond. Children reflect what they see. When I was a kid, and I've said this story before, when I was a kid, we used to have a snapper mower, right? It had one of those bags off to the side. And my dad, every like sun, Saturday, not on Sunday, because he didn't like to, he didn't like to work on Sunday, right? He just, all, every Saturday, he would be pushing, you know, the snapper mode when I was about you know 15 or about four years old I had this little plastic truck right one of those like the dumpster trucks that the back goes whoop like this and you can like dump stuff out of it it was fantastic I had one of these and I literally was like four or five years old my dad would be out there with the snapper mower me mowing the yard you know what happens when a bag gets too full clippings start falling out the bottom Right, grass is in the bottom, and so I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm so I'm literally behind him, and I'm on my. T- I have my tough skin jeans on, right, and I'm pushing my little my little uh, dump truck, and I'm right behind him. 
And what am I doing? I'm reflecting him by picking up all of the grass clippings that are in the yard and I'm sticking them in my truck. And when he walks over to take the, the thing and to dump all the grass, you know what I do? I would run over there with my truck and as he's pouring it out, I would dump the truck out with him and I'd run back over to get right behind him again. And I remember I had this vivid memory, I mean, literally four or five years, it stuck with me, of my mom sitting over here on the cross tie, and I'm right here, my dad's right here, and she's just looking at me going, she's just laughing. And my dad's just going like this. I had this vivid memory, vivid memory, five years old, four or five years old, of my mom just thinking, this was so cute, right? Because I was simply reflecting what I was watching my father doing. I was Jesus. He lives in this unclouded intimacy with the Father, listening to the Father, following him and simply reflecting what he's seeing his Father doing, just like we recognize our children doing all of the time. Unclouded intimacy with the Father. This is Jesus. Jesus is sitting there He's saying, listen, I just live in intimacy and relationship with my father, and I simply do what I see him doing. I can do nothing else. That's the thing about Jesus, right? He couldn't do anything without God. He couldn't do anything without the father. His life, he would have been 100% and completely lost in life if he did not have the father to follow into whatever it was the father was leading him into. He says that, right? The son, man, he can do nothing by himself. He can do nothing by himself. Remember, Jesus' life was expressed. You know what I get, right? His life was expressed in response and obedience to God the Father. Imagine if you're sitting there yourself, right? And you're Jesus. And you walk up to a pool of people. And there's a lot of people around them. A lot of people around them. And you walk up and, and, and all of a sudden, the fa- and you look over and the father speaking into the moment says, I don't want you to pray for the other hundred people. I want you to pray for this one person. And everyone's watching you. And everyone's looking right at you. And you pass by all these people and you go over to the one person. And then you say, um, hey, I just think the Lord may be saying something in the moment. Well, I don't know, but maybe just take up your mat and get up and walk. And all of a sudden inside of you, it's a risk. Why? Because he may not get up. All right? Have you ever experienced that you're praying for someone who get healed, but they weren't healed? He might not get up. Have you ever experienced that moment like, oh, you thought something was going to happen and it didn't? You're like, oh, my reputation. My gosh, what do they think of me, right? There are those moments. There are those moments. And Jesus is having this moment. It's a risk in what he's doing, right? But Jesus' risk was simply in response to what he heard the Father speaking and what he saw him doing. For us, in a very real and practical way, we have an opportunity today to move towards being a people of risk. Of people who aren't taking risk for risk's sake, but who are taking risks 
as a symbol of obedience to God. Why? Well, because Jesus may return tomorrow. So why don't you prepare by living fully today, not really caring what anybody thinks about you, not really worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Why? Because you're living fully, not just to risk for risk's sake, but you're living every day with an expectation of being obedient to something God is calling you to that may be a risk in your eyes, but for you, it's just simple obedience to walk down the basement because Father's walking in front of you and you're not ultimately going to be overwhelmed because he is with us. Four things I want you to take away this morning from the scriptures. A few thoughts. And I want to read Matthew 19 through 20 again, just to begin to kind of paint this picture to launch from, to remind us of what he's saying. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were frustrated with him because he had healed on the Sabbath and they didn't like what he did. He said to them and gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, that's what the son will do. For the father, oh, for the father loves the son and shows the son all that he does. He shares the secrets with Jesus. He shares things that no one gets into deep places, right? And yes, to your amazement, he's going to show me even greater things than these. Basically saying, you better get ready. Because you ain't seen nothing yet. Number one thing we see, Jesus needs the Father to succeed. Jesus needs the Father to succeed. Jesus said, the Son can do nothing by himself. This word nothing has in mind nothing of importance or nothing of eternal significance. Listen, we live life every day, and every day we simply do stuff. But is what we are doing, does it have, does it have eternal significance? What are you doing in your life that's ultimately bringing, like we sang about earlier, what you were crying out to God for with your hands raised and your eyes closed? What are you doing in obedience to God every day that's bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was talking about how the church where she is in her country is dead. It's boring. Nothing's happening in it. It's irrelevant. May that never be said about us. Because we are called, we are called by the Father to come alongside of Him and have success in bringing His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, did He do it every day? I'm sure there are days where He watched Jerusalem Bulldogs play a game on television, right? I'm sure there's a day He sat back and He rested. Not the jackets, the Bulldogs, right? I'm sure there was a moment He was sitting back and just debrief. You know how we knew He did that? Because He created something called the Sabbath. He rested on the seventh day. You know what He did on that day? Absolutely nothing. He rested. But the other six days, man, he's out there saying, okay, that was a good game this weekend, right? But here we go. You know what I'm getting at? Seriously, all this stuff. Jesus risking by acting in obedience to what he was hearing and what he was seeing from the Father. Second thing we find out is Jesus didn't do everything. Hear this. Jesus didn't do everything. He says here, 
I can. He can only do what he sees his father doing. I want you to get this picture. I'm not trying to create some sort of like um, theology on healing. But Jesus walks up into the, he walks up in the moment, right? The pool of Bethesda, Bethesda. And what does he do? He looks at everyone and he just ministers to one. Do you see that? He walked by, let's say, maybe a 50 other invalids who were sitting there and had been carried there that day looking for healing. He passed by them and he walked over to the one. We struggle with that, don't we, if we're completely honest? Oh, my gosh, why did Jesus do that? Why did he pass by? Well, it's real simple. He only heard the Father calling him to one person. And we have to be okay with that. Now, if it makes you feel better, and when I'm reading through here, it says, uh, I'm just going to go back to it because I, I thought this was cool. I was looking at it. I'm going to go back to verse 3. It says, uh, it said, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, which maybe makes me think that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to the womb, but I'll heal the rest of them later. All <laughs> right. That'd be cool. Right. We don't know that for sure. I'm just kind of just pulling that out of, out of, out of thin air. But but I think it's cool that possibly Jesus did come back. Maybe he sent his disciples to come back later and said, just as you saw me do now, go back to the rest of them. We have no idea. But what we know in this moment was that Jesus went to one person in the context of a relationship with the father, responding to what the father was calling, not risking by praying for all of them, by risking simply in obedience to the one person that he was called to. And what I find in this is this, so often in our Christian lives, we feel driven by all of the stuff around us, and we are undone, we're overwhelmed, instead of living our lives being led by the Father to the one person, or to the one situation. Listen, if your life is marked by being overwhelmed, by being overcommitted, then there's a really good chance that you're trying to do everything and you haven't heard the Father clearly. That should be good news for you because it means all you have to do is uncloud yourself, get with the Father, and he'll cut a lot of stuff off for you so you can give yourself to the thing he's calling you to. He didn't do everything. The third thing is this. Jesus knew his Father loved him, and the Father knew Jesus loved him. Verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Y'all, you know that when you know, when you know that you were loved in a specific relationship, when you know that you were 100% loved in the context of a relationship, it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it changes everything. Everything. All of a sudden, you get around this person and you just have peace, right? You have confidence that they're for you and not a, against you, right? You have this trust with them that you, you can't deny. You have a joy in being around them. Listen, when I know that things are going well with Randall, my wife, for those of you who don't know, she's in the front row, this real good looking one. Listen, when things are going well here between Randall and myself, guess what? I sleep better at night, and when I wake up in the morning, I feel a whole lot more rested. And when obstacles come, and I know she has my back, they don't seem so big. 
And Jesus lived every moment of his day in this context of authentic love with the Father. That's why nothing got under his skin except religious people. He thought they were idiots. And they were hurting other people. But everybody else. Yeah, I live in fear every day because Jesus didn't like pastors back in his day. He thought they were know-it-all and arrogant. Right? I live in humility in that. So Jesus knew his father loved him. But the beautiful picture was the father knew that Jesus loved him also. And when that happened, I would say this. Say this. When you live in the context of that type of love, risk just doesn't seem so dangerous anymore. When Jesus stood at the edge of the stairs, he's like, I'll go if you go with me. Of course I'm going to go. In fact, I'll lead the way. I don't know, as a kid, I'd walk down, I'd walk down with my dad leading. I was still a little, I was a little bit of fear, still a little trepidation. Right? I'm like, oh, man, this is still a little scary, but my dad's got it. Right? That happens in life. We risk something in life. doesn't mean all the danger has gone away, but risk doesn't seem so dangerous. And the fourth thing is this. He lived in expectation of more. Jesus lived in expectation of more of the Father, the more of God, the more risk, right? Says he, I love this. He says, yes. With a glint in his eyes, yes, to your amazement. I'm sure, like, if I were saying it, I'd be wrestling with pride. Jesus isn't, right? But yes, to your amazement, the Father will show the Son even greater things than these. Booyah! Here I come! Watch out what he's about to do, right? Here he comes! The Father's about to do even more! He's just sitting there in confidence. What are the things he's talking about? The things that he's, that have just happened. The Father coming in and showing his power. In this specific instance, he did a miracle of raising this man up and healing him. But Jesus, listen, he would live in expectation of the Father leading him to risky situations, right? He expected to heal. He expected to pray and to speak life, to take difficult steps. He expected to go to new places, etc., all in obedience to the Father. Jesus would wake up every day in the cool of the day. He'd pull away with the Father. He's like, what are we doing today? Hey, Dad, what are we doing today? Where are we going? What parachute are we open today? What basement are we walking into today? I'm a little bit scared, but I know you're with me. It's a risk, but I know you're going because you love me. And I expect you to do more and more every day. If you live life with every day expecting that tomorrow is the last, right? That you're prepared for his coming, right? May 25, the five wise virgins who were prepared for the, for the bride, for the groom when he came. When the groom came, they were prepared and they ready and they went in with him. When people live prepared as if tomorrow is the last day, they've cleaned themselves up. They've shaven. They've cut their hair. They've cleaned their entire house and gotten it ready for Jesus to come. When they live prepared, they live in this place of risk. He says, I don't care what we're risking because I'm going to die tomorrow anyway and go live with you in heaven. Who really gives a rip? Hallelujah. God, the Father, in relationship to Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, man, I'm not doing anything without Dad because we're going to scary places. And I'm, he's going with me. 
He's going with me. I mean, I'll never forget as a kid, I'd walk places, and there'd be scary people all around. My dad was six foot four, and he looked mean. And people would literally walk down the street, and they're like, oh, and they'd go to the other side of the street, because he just looked mean. And I'm like, that's my dad. Nobody messes with him. This is the father. Go and say, I will go with you. Jesus risked, but it wasn't paralyzing because he did it with his father, a father he knew loved him. In fact, if you know the Bible at all, you know that's why the cross was so difficult for Jesus, why it was ultimately so painful. Because scripture tells us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross for the sin of all the world, it says he cried out, God, he looked he looked somewhere where he would look to find God, Father, right? Jesus would always go to a place where he could go find the Father, and he looked, and for the very first time in his life, Father was not there. And for the very first time, he doesn't say Father, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me. For the very first time in the life of Jesus, his father wasn't right here in intimate relationship. Why? Because the sin of the world was on him, clouding his vision from seeing father. He felt alone. And he felt disconnected, and it was overwhelming. But the promise of Scripture is that since Jesus was forsaken, he will never leave us nor ever forsake us. We can walk in intimacy and of knowledge of the Father. Living prepared for tomorrow he's coming. Maybe. And we live as if he is prepared for his coming. And therefore, when God presents something of risk, say, hey, Steve, I want you to go down to the basement. I'll go if you go. I know you're going. Let's do it. Right. And we go and we're like, well, he didn't come back. Maybe it's tomorrow. And we just live in preparation and excitement that tomorrow may be the day. That's the testimony back in 24 and 25. Tomorrow may be the day. And we live a life of risk. saying, I'm risking my life for the kingdom of God coming for whom for the broken and hurting and the dying and those who were lost and who were living separated from the living God. I live my life in risk, not for myself, but for every person who does not know him, who's in need of him, and who the enemy is eating their lunch. Jesus, use me. Make me sports the special forces for you in the kingdom. This, this is a message on risk. And it's the message that God is speaking into the day and age that we live in, saying, please, please don't waste your life. Let's pray.
Father, yours is the kingdom forever. Yours is the kingdom forever and ever. Yours is the kingdom and you are Lord over it. Father, this morning I pray first for those, God, who who don't know you, don't believe in you this morning, who are you here? God, I pray this morning simply that you would show them that you love that you're real and that you love them. That's all I'm asking, God. Because once you show them that you're real and that you love them, then conviction simply follows. And so this morning, Father, we just invite you to come. And in every person this morning who's wrestling with their knowledge of you, would you open yourself up to them and say, yo, here I am. Here I am. And they would be undone by your love. Father, this morning I pray for those, God, who are far off from you. God, maybe who they know you, they've walked away from you. Lord, I praise you for conviction. Conviction is a gift. It's a weight that we feel that points to the brokenness. And if we will simply say we're sorry and turn back to you and begin walking towards you, it leads us to life. So I pray for the gift of conviction, God, that names the brokenness so that I can get rid of it, so I can begin walking back towards you. Father, I pray for those, Jesus, who are walking with you today. But God, there's a little bit of fear as it relates to living in risk. I pray for a revelation this morning that, God, all that they have is the idea of preparing for tomorrow. And they would live in that place of risk. And God, I pray for those this morning who are living at that place of risk. I simply pray grace upon them, God, that they can continue to live life prepared for the coming of Jesus as if it's tomorrow. Holy Spirit, come. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.